so I saw uh, a headline uh, in the news about five years ago, <laughs> and here it was. It said, Idaho police pick up Santa Claus for driving the wrong way. <laughs> so I want you to see his picture. And uh, here's the story, okay? A man legally named Santa Claus, so this is his name, uh, was arrested after police in Idaho said they saw him driving on the wrong side of the street. 67-year-old Claus initially was booked uh, on one count of DUI. He later pleaded guilty to a reduced charge of reckless driving. So you'll be happy to know uh, he was not driving a sleigh and uh, there was there were no reindeer involved. Right. But the story goes on. It says it says Claus told police he wasn't from town and he wasn't familiar with the streets. Well, right there, that proves it's not the real Santa Claus. So I only mention that because of this. Uh, first of all, for the kids. And second, because I know some of you have had a really rough 2020. And so I didn't want to make it any worse. All right. Today's message is called uh, We Need a Little Christmas. And uh, here was my idea as I was putting it together. Uh, I know Christmas was a couple of days ago, right? And I hope everyone had a good one. But what I've found is with a lot of folks, and myself included, is uh, shortly after Christmas, uh, there begins to, to uh, be an emotional letdown. And, you know, there's all the anticipation leading up to Christmas, right? Buying presents, wondering what present you're going to get, the music, the movies, uh, you know, friends and family coming in town. And then uh, after the presents are open, haven't you felt that before? Where as, uh, you know, the music starts to die down and then people start to leave town, uh, often our emotions begin to go down as well. And so I wanted to give us some hope. So the message, like I said, is called We Need a Little Christmas. And here's the simple idea is that I believe we can celebrate Christmas year round. And I'm not talking about the holiday, though. I'm talking about the season of Christmas and the idea that a Savior was born. I mean, that's what I like to celebrate and think about throughout the year. Our three points today are going to be Emmanuel, Light of the World, King of Kings. So again, our message is called We Need a Little Christmas. And my target, I'm hoping by the time you leave here, that your heart will be filled with hope. Uh, Our three points, Emmanuel, Light of the World, King of Kings. Hey, let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you, Lord. Um, I love the Christmas season. I look forward to it year round. And I do. I, I think about it, Lord, um, just every aspect of it. But dear Lord, I pray uh, that you would fill our hearts with that Christmas hope. Lord, I pray that today you would give us a deeper understanding into you. Uh, again, what Christmas is all about, Lord, and why it is that we don't just have to celebrate it one day a year. Lord, speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit speak to us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Fill our hearts with eternal hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so my first point today is Emmanuel. And the idea is that Christ has come. Uh, The long-awaited promise was that God would visit the earth. That's what the name means, in fact, God with us. Uh, And when he came, he would be called Emmanuel. So, uh, we're going to start our story today. We're going to look actually at the very first time the New Testament quotes a prophecy from the Old Testament. 
And we find that in the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew, in the very first chapter. So beginning at verse 22, and again, this is the first, this is the first Old Testament prophecy that is quoted in the New Testament. It says this, Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So the Christmas story was beginning, and here's the prophecy in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, the birth of Christ. This prophecy was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. In fact, uh, you may not know this, uh, but it was actually, this prophecy was was first spoken uh, to uh, a king named King Ahaz, and he was not a good king. And so to gain more insight into this very first prediction that we see in the New Testament, uh, it's helpful to go back to the book of Isaiah and read the passage uh, in its entirety. So, but first we have to look at this chart, okay? So there's, uh, and here's, here's why we have to do this. Um, there's six names involved in the verses we're going to read. And two of those names I put in red. Can y'all see those? Yeah, the ones on the left. So let me just talk about these six names. And again, it'll help you understand this whole passage that we're going to read, which has to do with, with the uh, virgin uh, who would be with child. So the central figure right there in the middle of the slide, the central figure is King Ahaz. I already mentioned he was a wicked king and he ruled in Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, what was going on is that he was facing two enemies at one time. That's those names on the left in red. And those guys' names are Rezin and Pekah. But they were coming to attack Jerusalem, to attack King Ahaz. And so if you look at the name directly above King Ahaz's name and directly below it, what's going on is this, is King Ahaz, now that he was being attacked by two enemies, he faced a choice. He could either trust in Almighty God, or he could put in his trust in the king of Assyria. And then the last name that you see is the one all the way to the right is the name of Isaiah the prophet, who actually wrote uh, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet was trying to encourage King Ahaz to put his faith in God. But watch this, y'all. What we're about to read is this, is that King Ahaz refused to put his faith in God. Instead, he put his faith in the king of Assyria. Okay, so there's a lot of names, but now that we read it, hopefully it'll give you a little familiarity so um, um, you won't uh, lose your place in, in what we're about to read. All right, so we begin in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, in the days of Ahaz, see, I told you, okay, in the days of Ahaz, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it, okay? So it's like we said, two enemies were planning an attack, Rezin and Pekah. They were coming to attack. The stage was set for war, and they were gathering their armies. Now, King Ahaz, understandably, and the people uh, began to become fearful. And so God spoke a word to com- of comfort to the people and to King Ahaz, even though I told you already, he was a wicked king. So here's the words of comfort. It says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, verse 4, And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, 
Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. Now, we're not going to continue reading uh, those couple of verses, but here was the main idea, y'all. God was promising that there was no need to fear. God himself was promising he was going to fight on behalf of Jerusalem, even on behalf of King Ahaz. And God was telling Ahaz, put your trust in almighty God, not in the king of Assyria. Well, let's continue reading, see what happened. In verse 10, it says this. Again, the Lord spake to Ahaz. uh, And he says this, ask a sign of the Lord. Your God, let it be deep as Sheol or the grave or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, it sounds like he was doing a good thing, but in context, he was actually being very disobedient. Uh, And he was refusing, like I said, he was refusing to trust God. God gave Ahaz specific instructions to ask for uh, for a sign. And Ahaz was too proud to obey God and to ask for this sign. So that's when God responds to Ahaz in anger. And through the mouth of Isaiah, he says this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Now, remember this. What he's about to speak is in response to Ahaz refusing to ask for a sign. Okay. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, hopefully this whole uh, few verses that we just read in this little discussion that we've had so far sheds a little light on this prediction because In other words, here's what God was saying to Ahaz. He was saying, because you refuse to trust me, then I'm going to choose the sign. And he tells him a woman is going to experience a miraculous pregnancy, a miraculous conception. In other words, what God is saying is this. There's going to be a child born miraculously to a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel, his name will be God with us. What he's telling Ahaz is because you refuse to trust me, one day I will make my presence known on earth through my only begotten son. It was intended to be a blessing to all, but in fact, it's spoken as a word of judgment to King Ahaz. Now, let's think about King Ahaz for a second. He believed In God. But he lived as if God did not exist. Right? He believed mentally in God. But he was putting his faith in an earthly person. In an earthly king. And you know what? Here's some application right off the bat. If you and I make decisions without taking almighty God into account. then we're being just like King Ahaz. We're being the exact same way when we put our faith in anything earthly versus putting our faith in almighty God. Another way to say it is this. What good does it do you to claim a relationship with God, but to attempt to live the Christian life through your own efforts? 
The reason one of Christ's names is Emmanuel is to remind us, y'all, God is with us. If you're a believer in Christ, God is with you. In fact, he lives within you. At any given moment, you can rely on Almighty God. Years ago, around uh, 1900, uh, there was a farmer who lived near Beaumont, Texas. And uh, uh, he was poor. He was struggling to pay the bills and to feed his family. And so he began selling tracts of his land. Now, there was uh, an oil company uh, that came and, and had a conversation with him. And they told him, we believe that there is oil underneath your land. We would like permission to drill on your land and to explore and see if we find oil. And if we do, we're going to pay you uh, some royalties on each barrel that we produce. The guy said, well, i got nothing to lose. Sure. And so what happened was on January 10th, 1901, an enormous geyser of oil exploded from his property on the drilling site. Uh, it reached a height of more than 100 feet and produced close to two. Uh, I'm sorry. It produced more than 100,000 barrels of oil per day. Uh, this gusher was more powerful than any previous, previously seen anywhere in the world. In fact, you may remember the name of the place. It's called Spindletop. This is the exact place that gave birth to three different oil companies. Gulf Oil, Texaco, and Exxon. So if you think about it, the farmer became an instant millionaire. Or did he? Did it actually happen on that day? Because if you really think about it, he actually became a millionaire the day he acquired the land. But his riches, right, were underneath the surface. It didn't do him any good until they drilled down and tapped into that resource and took it to the marketplace. I don't know if you see where I'm going with this. But if you are a believer in Christ, then the spirit of almighty God lives within you. Think about how often it is that you and I will spend our entire day or weeks or a long, long period relying on our own strength or on things that we see rather than than tapping in to the resource that lives within us. The same almighty God that created the universe The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us at any moment. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, that brings us to our second point today. Okay, light of the world. The same promised child would be called the light of the world. That's a fascinating title. So let's go on. We're still in Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, a different prophecy about the same child. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This prediction was about Christ. And if you think about the Lord Jesus throughout his life and throughout his ministry, he is associated with light. So let's talk about that for a second. First of all, in the Christmas story, uh, you remember the wise men followed a star. 
So we see that in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. From his birth, there was this peculiar star. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was up late for Christmas too, so it's going to come out sooner or later. Okay. There was a peculiar star that they followed. And this light led the wise men to Christ. Years later, Jesus made an astonishing claim. Again, associating him with light. And this is what he said in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I know you've heard it a million times, but let that sink in. Just how amazing that would have been the first time he spoke that to his audience. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that phrase, I am the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. If any would follow him, he promises to deliver us from darkness and that we can actually have the light of life. So Jesus not only offers forgiveness, which is a great thing, by the way, feels good to be forgiven of sin, including the sins you haven't done yet, the ones in your future. But on top of that, he also promises he can deliver us from the very power of sin, y'all. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about being the light. Now, not everybody was attracted to the light. And so we need to talk about that. We see this in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. It says, uh, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than. Than the light. Because their works. Were evil. I think we've all found this to be true. Even in our own lives haven't we. The sad truth is. The savior who came. To seek and save the lost. Was not popular with everybody. He wasn't welcomed by all. In fact even even believers. Right. There are times when we choose sin. Over a relationship with Christ. There's times we deliberately choose. The darkness. Instead of his light. The apostle Luke writes about the Lord Jesus's darkest day. And we see that in Luke chapter 23. Verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, which means about noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. I want you to look at those phrases again. After all of his love. And his service to mankind, the light of the world, was snuffed out. Think about the night of his birth. He had a dark night that was lit up by a a miraculous star. But here on the day of his death, the light of the world is snuffed out. And it says that there was darkness over all the land. Uh, It says this happened from noon to 3 p.m. So it was no mere solar eclipse. Something different happened. And there's a phrase here. I want you to make sure you don't miss. It says it says uh, that the sun's light failed. 
Now, if you picture that and take that literally, take God at his word, what that means is in midday, right, when the sun is the highest and brightest, that the sun itself went out for a period of time. And that means that the very stars would have become visible. It would have been just like nighttime. Imagine how frightening that would have been to people, right? It makes sense when it tells you, we're not reading this right now, but where the centurion who was on guard, when he saw these events, for him to say, surely this must be son of God. Now, referring to Christ's resurrection, here's some good news. Paul writes about this later. And Paul makes an interesting statement. This is found in in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 22. So here's Paul uh, looking back on Christ's resurrection. He says this, Acts 26, 22. I stand here testifying what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light. Isn't that a strange phrase? He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Think of day-to-day occurrences of light and darkness. When we think about light, right, and things associated with light, we think about eyesight, we think about sunrise, we think about daytime, we think about scenic views. And so it, it, it brings us an idea of peace and clarity. Now think of the opposite, the things we associate with darkness. We think of being lost. We think of being confused, fear, and uncertainty. And here the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, right, and we know this, Jesus offers life. But on top of that, Jesus offers light. And everything that you would associate with light. He really was the light of the world. So being a youth pastor for, for years and years and years, I mean, going back to, I actually started volunteering, working with high school kids, even back when I was in college. So you can imagine, uh, I've got plenty of stories that have happened on different trips with kids. But when I meet with other youth pastors, they have stories as well. So this story, I must confess, I was not there. But here's the story. This, this took place at a, a camp called King's Arrow Ranch. I think they changed the name. But it's, uh, it, it exists right there um, in uh, close to Lumberton, Mississippi. But what happened was, uh, you know, it's nighttime and there was about a dozen guys in the cabin. And, you know, guys, you know how guys are. They're just swapping stories and just kind of hanging out. And then, you know, they flick off the lights. And some of the stories they were telling was about how certain critters will get into these cabins. And you don't always know that they're in there or nesting in those cabins. Well... Little by little, you know, they're in darkness, right? So picture that. And these 12 guys, uh, high school guys, they fall asleep. About three in the morning, they hear a shriek. And they can tell it's one of the guys in the room. They're all starting to wake up, but they can't see anything. And what they hear him screaming is this. He's yelling, ah, get it off me. Get it off me. And that's all they know. So they're looking around and they're, you know, you're, you're trying to wake up. And finally, one of them grabs a flashlight and shoots it over on this kid. And what had happened was this. He had been sleeping on his arm. And so when he rolled over, he thought it was one of those flying squirrels. So he's like this. Get it off me. <laughs> like that. You can imagine. And it probably led to all kind of nicknames. Okay. 
Hey, y'all, darkness, darkness leads to confusion, right? But light leads to clarity. Jesus is the light of the world. Our third point today is this. He's also called the King of Kings. And again, we've been talking about Christmas, but you know, right? Christ, you can't have Christ without Christmas. One of the things that we look forward to is the day when Christ returns. So first I want to read uh, one of the prophecies about that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, it says this, and, and many of you probably received the Christmas card this year, probably had this verse on it. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is just one of the predictions about how Christ eventually will rule over all. And, uh, and that his throne will be set up, you know, in, in Jerusalem and, and it'll be ongoing and eternal. And like I say, there's many, 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 uh, verses about that. But here's what happens. In fact, especially lately, uh, especially in this year, uh, 2020, that's, that's seen so much uncertainty is, uh, I'll either hear people ask the question or I'll hear, hear people talking about it. Sometimes people will ask me directly, is Christ coming back now? And so I wanted to talk a little bit about Christ's return, because what I find is, is again, uh, sometimes people, there's there's confusion about uh, uh, the predictions about Christ's return. And so um, what I find is this, is that my best understanding as I read scripture, and we're going to look at some of these in a second, is that there's actually two events predicted that get mixed up. And so one is what is commonly called the rapture. I'm thinking most of you have heard that word. And we're going to talk about uh, that event. But there's another event called the second coming of Christ. And so I wanted to, to kind of um, compare those two events just to help us not, not mix the two. And just to briefly show you why it is that I believe it's actually two events that are being predicted and how people get confused on them. So first of all, uh, I want us to see this next slide. And uh, here's the idea. The rapture will occur when Jesus Christ returns for his church. Uh, it actually foretells this idea that believers are going to leave the planet and meet Christ in the air. So let's read it right here. It says, First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's those, that's believers who have, who've already gone to the grave, and so their bodies are in the grave. It's saying the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain, which means just for example, I don't want anybody getting nervous here, but for example, if it were to happen in this moment, then those that are, are those believers who have gone on before us uh, to glory, their bodies are still in the grave. They would instantly go up to meet Christ in the air. And then we who are believers in this room would go up to meet Christ in the air. That's the idea. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. I want to contrast this idea with a verse about the second coming. 
So the next slide says this, that the second coming will happen when Jesus Christ returns with his church. Okay, the difference being the rapture, he returns for his church to basically snatch up the church to meet him in the air. But in the second coming, he actually returns to earth, sets his foot on the planet and brings the church with him. So I want you to see that in Revelation uh, 19, verse 14, it says, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Okay, again, uh, when you when you compare those verses, you can see that it's 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 describing thing, two things that are two events that are completely different. Let's go on. Uh, talk about the rapture some more. Uh, the rapture is described as an instantaneous event. So we see this in First Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means not all believers are going to die. Because, again, if it were to happen right now, then before you and I have seen death, we would go up to meet him. So watch this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So it's talking about something that happens instantaneously. In contrast, the second coming, according to Scripture, will be seen by everyone. We find that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So you can see, again, it's, it's a whole different idea. I want you to see the next slide. I don't have any verses right now because I didn't want to go in depth on this, but I did just want to point this out. The rapture... Uh, is the way it's described, it's always imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment. But the second coming of Christ, when he actually comes back to earth to set up his kingdom, the second coming of, of Christ uh, cannot take place until a series of events that have been prophesied uh, have all been fulfilled. So I hope you hear that difference, okay? The rapture is always imminent. It could happen at any moment. Any moment at all, day or night. But the second coming of Christ cannot take place until a series of predictions have been fulfilled. Now, here's why I'm going into this. Because, again, you know, uh, some people, it makes them scared, right? Some people, it just, I don't know, it gives them anxiety. I mean, people have different different feelings about this. And uh, the fact is, um, you know, their speakers making money, predicting. Uh, sometimes they predict the date when these things are going to take place. Um, so um, let me share a quick story. Um, about five, six years ago, uh, there were predictions in the, in the newspaper. There were still newspapers at the time, okay? But but And maybe you read some of this where they were talking about the blood moons. If you would study the blood moons, and they were predicting a date when the end of the world was coming. and it was And the date was about... About five or six years ago, and I remember this because uh, I got a text from one of uh, the kids that had used to, had been in my high school youth group years in the past, and her text said something to the effect of, "Of hey Miguel, just want you to know that uh, I really always enjoyed you as a youth pastor," and and then she put some phrase in there, and so in case something happens, you know, uh, and then she goes on, and I thought. 
what is going on? And, and made me afraid for like, I don't know what she was thinking about. And so we text back and forth a little bit. And then I realized what's going on is she'd been reading this stuff about these blood moons. And so she thought the end of the world was coming. And it was, it was, I think either supposed to happen that next day or maybe two days from the day that she texted me. So I asked her, Hey, can I call you? Sure. So now we're on the phone. And I remember it was nighttime because I went outside and I was on my porch and we were just chatting and we're talking about these verses. And I asked her, I said, are you scared? And she started crying and laughing at the same time, like, yes, you know, and I said, can I put you at ease? And she goes, sure. And I said, all right. I said, so so supposedly these predictions are, are taking place right now. I said, um, I said, are, are, can you see the sky right now? And she says, yes. And I said, describe the sky to me. And she says, it's foggy. And I said, can you see the moon? And she says, no. And I said, well, think about that now. If God took the time to make a prediction about the moon and how it was going to be a blood moon, don't you think when he was ready to fulfill that prophecy, he would make his sign visible? (laughs) And she thought about it. Yes. And I said, it's not going to happen tonight or tomorrow night. Okay. Somebody knows that people get scared. They threw a couple of Bible verses together and they're selling their book. Now, let me say this again. Okay. The rapture, again, could happen at any moment. The second coming won't take place until a series of predictions have been fulfilled. But in the meantime, here's the main thing. Is that we know Christ and that we're serving Christ. Um. I want us to think about the Christmas story and how a savior came and how at any given moment we can either be walking in relationship with him or we can be doing things in our own effort. The hope of Christ, these names we've looked at today, they fill our hearts with hope. When we read about him, when we talk to him and when day by day, We walk with Almighty God. I want us to have a little bit of application, y'all, before we uh, we close up. So, again, um, we need a little Christmas, right? That's my idea to begin with. And I believe we can have year-round hope. In fact, I I go this far, y'all. I listen to Christmas music all year round, okay? And I don't mean that's all I listen to, obviously, right? But I'm just saying what I find is this. Just like Christmas music puts me in a good mood heading into, you know, uh, the actual holiday. I find sometimes it puts me in a good mood in February, in April. Uh, sometimes I might even watch It's a Wonderful Life. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, besides reading scripture, I'm just saying the Christmas season, it should be a hopeful thing for all of us believers. y'all. So here's our three thoughts. Number one. Emmanuel, God is with us. We can depend on him or ourselves. The second name was light of the world. We can choose his light or darkness. The third name was king of kings. We can live in hope of eternity or we can live under the oppression of uncertainty. God wants to fill our hearts with hope, eternal hope.
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now and just take a little time to think about this. And then I'm going to pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the Christmas season. And every one of us in here uh, is probably feeling uh, just different emotions uh, with Christmas just past. Lord, I pray you'd meet each one of us right where we are. And I pray you would fill us with eternal hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.